0: Ah, Good morning, church. It is great to see you all again this morning. Um, message this morning, is, it follows on from last week. They're slightly disjointed, um, but they do ma- marry together, meet together. Um, anyone remember when you were a kid? Anyone ever get lost? As a child, I remember us as a family. It was our kind of tradition as a family. We'd always go out on a Saturday. Saturday morning, we'd go and visit my my stepdad's mum and we'd spend the morning there. And then we'd go out for the afternoon, we'd go shopping and that kind of thing. And sometimes we'd go to kind of market towns, you know, maybe Chester or Southport. And then we went to this one over in Lancashire Way. I think it might have been Bolton or somewhere like that. I was probably about this big, however old that is, maybe six, seven. And what I remember of it, I remember we were kind of in this shop. And if I'm honest, I was a bit of a quirky kid. I I was a little bit of a quirky kid. I used to take things apart. My parents couldn't really leave me for too long with anything technology-wise because it would be in bits by the time they came back. Um, And I think I just maybe got distracted and looking around, and I wandered off. And suddenly, I'm in the middle of this market town, and I'm like, I don't know where I am, and I don't know where my parents are. I think my grandparents were with us at the time as well, and I'm suddenly lost. Remember that feeling when you're lost? Yeah, you know the one I'm on about. There was, there was two feelings came to me. One was that feeling of scared. I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm scared. I, I'm lost. But the other one was guilt. Because I think I'd realized that it wasn't that they'd left me, it was really that I'd kind of wandered off on my own, and suddenly I'm all on my own, and I can't find them, and I don't know where they are, and it seemed to be an eternity. It was probably, in reality, maybe about five minutes, maybe not even that, probably only a minute, actually. When you're that big, it seems like forever, doesn't it? But I remember this feeling of guilt, this feeling of, of fear coming upon me, that adrenaline rush you get that feeling that goes through your body, suddenly there's this, and, and, and everything's heightened, and you're, you're suddenly aware of everything that's around you, and eventually they appeared and told me that they'd been watching me, and they knew where they were, and they were trying to teach me a lesson, don't wander off, but I learned a slightly different lesson. The lesson I learned, if I look back, I was thinking about this this morning, was more along the lines of when... The people who are responsible for you are suddenly not around. They're suddenly not there. When it suddenly feels like you've blown it, when you suddenly feel all alone in this world, and when it feels like there's no one around, they're watching and they're there. We are not on our own. Come on, let's say it like we mean it. I am a child of God. So, I am entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I'm ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by his word. Amen. You know, if you're a Christian in this place, if you're a believer in this place, then the one who's responsible for you is more than just your parents, it's God. He is the one who is ultimately responsible for you and responsible for your life. And when I think back, I wasn't a Christian at that point when I was a child and we went missing and my parents weren't Christians, my grandparents weren't Christians. No one I knew was a Christian. I do not know of any kind of belief like we have in this church. That was alien to me. But when I think of kind of growing up and, and that That message that came out to me from that experience, and what I've discovered since I've become a Christian, as getting older, and I suppose marrying the two things together, that I think God was speaking to me through that message, through what happened, through that experience. I don't believe, whether you're a Christian or not, that God is distant. He's there. He's everywhere. In every single situation of your life, he's involved and he is around. And what it really, really did teach me was that God is the one who's watching over me. And at the times when he feels distant, he's not. He's there. Just like I realized my parents were actually watching me even though I couldn't see them and wasn't aware of it. I know that God's watching me all the time. And for some of you, that's a good thing. For some of you, that's maybe a scary and a a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, I promise you. I want to talk about a, a, a man in the Bible, this man. I want to I talk about dreams this morning. I want to give you six... Key lessons, six key things that you need to know about dreams. And I want to focus really on one man in the Bible, or we'll talk about a few men in the Bible, but I want to um, center it around this one man in the Bible. This man is one of the most important characters in the Bible. He 's so important that the entire people of Israel are named after him. Some of you will know who I 'm on about already. The, the story I want to talk about, about this man, is a, a thing that happens in his life. He has a dream. Now, some of you will be thinking of um, Josh, uh, Joseph, Joseph, yeah, Joseph the dreamer. He's the famous dreamer in the Bible, dream Dreamcoat and all of that kind of stuff that goes on, There's performances, but before Joseph, Jacob, his father, had a dream. And he had a a really significant dream in the Bible. This dream was so important that the place of this dream launched a million churches' names. They named after the place where this dream took place. The backdrop to this dream, because it's really important to understand the context, where he was, why he was there, what was going on, at this time, the man in, in question at this time was called Jacob, although God later changed his name to Israel. But at this moment, Jacob found himself all alone. Now, he hadn't got lost from his parents like I had as a little kid where he'd wandered off and he was maybe distracted by something and found himself suddenly all on his own, but he had got lost from his parents and it was partly through his own doing. He'd got himself in a situation where he had actually had to flee his home because one of his family members, his older brother, was out to kill him. He was plotting to murder him. And Jacob, sorry, had found out that his brother was out to murder him, was plotting to murder him because he felt that Jacob had done wrong to him. He hadn't, by the way. But Esau thought this. That was his name of his older brother. So Jacob found out about this. His mum let him know. And it was decided that he had to flee. He had to get away until things had calmed down, which he did. So he left his home. And he was all alone. And he'd been wandering for some time and suddenly he's tired. He's so tired at this point that he gets a rock and places it down on the ground as a pillow. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a nice comfy pillow at home. I used to get a bit of neck ache many years ago, and I invested in a decent pillow, the right kind of size, the right thickness, because I sleep on my side, and I thought, this is causing it. I think my neck's too high or maybe too low, and so I looked into it and got the right. I can't imagine sleeping on a rock as a pillow. Anyone in here sleep with a rock as a pillow? To sleep with a rock as a pillow, you've got to be tired. Jacob was tired, he was exhausted, he was lonely, he was all on his own and he was probably wondering was anyone near him, was God even near to him and he fell asleep, tired and exhausted, he fell asleep and God gave him a dream, an incredible dream. People who aren't even Christians, I'd heard about this. There was not many things in the Bible I'd heard about when before I became a Christian, but this was one of the things, Jacob's Ladder. Anyone heard of Jacob's Ladder? Yeah, it's a, it, that's his dream. It's what it's kind of named after. We don't know technically if it was exactly a ladder or a staircase, but it was something that led up to heaven, and it was... Clearly, the way this thing led up to heaven in Jacob's dream, he saw angels ascending and descending up and down. This was like some kind of connection between earth and heaven. What an incredible dream. Jacob's lay there and suddenly God gives him this dream. The Bible says in Genesis 28, this is, that God gives Jacob this dream. This is a dream, an incredible dream. And in the middle of this dream, God promises him something. He promises Jacob that all of his dreams will come true. God promises Jacob. At the top of the ladder, Jacob can see angels ascending and descending as he lays asleep in this place called Bethel, by the way. And he looks up and at the top of the ladder, there's something incredible in that, that he looks up. God is saying to him, look up, look up, don't look down, look up. And as he looks up at the top of the ladder, he sees God looking down on him. And God speaks to him from above, from heaven, from the top of this ladder, God looks down and speaks to Jacob in the dream. What an incredible dream. We've not even read what God says God tells him, it gives him a promise. God tells him something that he needs to know for the journey ahead. Don't forget he's had to flee his home. He's all alone. He's off to a place that he doesn't really know. He's been told to go to this place, but he doesn't know what to expect when he gets there. And actually, when he gets there, he finds trouble. He finds hard work. It's a difficult time when he gets there. And God promises him something that he needs for this journey ahead. He says to him, he says to him a few different things, but he says, He says, all of your dreams will come true. And I want to explain that a little bit later on. In the midst of being far away from his home and his family, and his his dad was an incredible man. Jacob's dad, Isaac. Was the son of Abraham, so this man, his dad, his granddad, he's in an incredible line of men. Abraham and Isaac are his, not descendants, his what's the opposite? Ancestors, that's the word. Yeah, ancestors. Imagine having Abraham and Isaac as your ancestors. It's not time to go into all the incredible things that these men did. But the, the entire nation of Israel hold these two men in the most incredible esteem. They call Abraham, Father Abraham. He was the man that God really first spoke to in a, in a dream like this of their nation. And what it was going to be. He's considered the father of fathers. But well, suddenly, Jacob is all away from that. He's all away from his home. He's all away from his ancestors. And God promises him, Jacob, all of your dreams are going to come true. Something he needs to know. He says in, in verse 15, it says, the Bible records it like this. It says this, What's more? What's more, the what's more is, and there's not time to go into what came before, but the what's more is that God has just told him, all of your dreams are going to come true. Jacob, all of your dreams are going to come true. You're going to return home, you're going to be inherit everything, all of it. It's all going to come true. He says, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Three key promises. There's many promises actually just in that one verse alone. But three key promises right there, right at the beginning, just in that first sentence of that verse. Number one, I am with you. You are not alone. I am sure he was feeling lonely at this point. He had to flee his home. And God stood there telling him, I am with you. The second thing, I will protect you. I'm going to look after you. I am your protector. I will protect you. He must have been feeling vulnerable. Can you imagine in that day and age... Society was so important in that day and age. There was no police force. There were no courts. If you found yourself on your own, you were at risk of death. If you had no family and no people around you, and Jacob, he was off to another group of family members to spend the next 14 or more years, but at this point, he's all on his own in the middle of nowhere in a place called Bethel asleep with a rock as a pillow that doesn't sound very safe and secure to me and God tells him I will protect you I am with you I will protect you wherever you go I am with you I will protect you wherever you go Wherever you are, whether you feel alone or whether you feel like you've got lots of people around you, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. But I want to focus on six other things because incredible as those things are, I want to focus on six things about dreams and how important dreams are in the Bible. So many songs have been written about dreams, haven't they? And so many films have been written about dreams. And even in our culture, people understand the significance of dreams. But I want to tell you, this book was written 10,000 years ago, this book began. And right there, right then, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, God tells us how important dreams are. Have you got a dream are you involved in someone with a dream first thing about dreams the first thing about dreams is that this wasn't jacob's first dream this This, what happened at Bethel, was God's dream for Jacob. This was a dream that God gave Jacob so that Jacob could be assured of what he needed to know for the journey ahead. Because what Jacob was about to face and was about to go through was difficult. He was going to be cheated. He was going to be on his own. He was going to be deceived. You name it. And he needed to know that God was with him. And God gave Jacob this dream. And it was a dream that came from a dream that Jacob had had when he was younger. When Jacob was younger, he had a dream himself. This was not his first dream. His dream was of greatness. Jacob dreamed of greatness. He dreamed of greatness that technically wasn't his. The greatness that Jacob dreamed of, the the greatness that, that Jacob wanted, was something that technically should not have been his, just like his descendant, Joseph... His son, Joseph, who dreamed of something great that, again, technically wasn't his. Jacob had dreamed the same thing. See, he dreamed of having the blessing of Abraham and the blessing of Isaac on his life. But he was the youngest. He wasn't the oldest. Actually, his older brother, Esau, should have had that blessing. But the thing about Esau is that the Bible records, it tells us really clearly that Esau didn't care about it. Not only didn't Esau care about it, Esau actually treated it with contempt. Esau didn't care about the blessing of his father or the blessing of his grandfather. He wasn't concerned about spiritual blessings or anything like that. All Esau wanted was material things. But Jacob dreamed greater. Jacob dreamed of greatness. He dreamed of those spiritual blessings. He dreamed of those promises of God on his life. He coveted them. He was desperate for them. He wanted them. But it wasn't his. They were Esau's. And he treated them with contempt. But God promised him he was going to have it. God promised him he was going to have these things. He promised him in the dream at Bethel. But just like David after him, when God said to David, you will be the king. It was years later, decades later before it happened. And and Jacob and David and so many others, Joseph, all had to go on journeys before they actually achieved and took hold of the dream. How many of you know that God tells us things before they happen? Sometimes, though, many, many years before they happen. 20 or more years ago, God told me I was going to pastor a church. 21, 22 years ago, it took 15, 16, 17 years. I don't know, I lost count, maybe 14. 15 years before it happened. God tells us things that are going to happen before they happen. And this was God's dream for Jacob. God promises us things before he gives them to us. And God will give you a dream. Your dreams are good. But God just doesn't allow us to dream ourselves. He gives us dreams. He gives us dreams. Dreams to answer our dreams. Words to answer our words. Assurances. Second point about dreams. This dream was God turning up. Right there at the moment when Jacob thought he was lost. Right at the moment when Jacob thought he was lost. God turned up. Right there. God turned up. Genesis 28 verse 16 says this. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said this. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And this is the second part of this point number two. This was God turning up just at the moment when Jacob thought he was lost he says this, I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't even aware of it. At the moment when you think you're lost, at the moment when you think you're all alone, God will give you a dream and remind you and assure you that you are not alone. I am with you. Even till the end of the age, I am with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You are not alone. Even if you're not aware of his presence, he is there right there with you right now. Right now he's with you. Right in this moment, right now he's with you. It doesn't matter how you arrived at this place, how you got here, what your journey was to this point, God is with you. And he's assuring you this morning of that fact that he is with you. You are not alone. When Jacob thought he got himself far from God, when he thought he'd messed it all up, when he thought he'd found himself all alone and he'd got himself in a big mess in this big old world of ours. Right at that moment, God shows up. Says, I'm with you. I am with you. Point number three. I like this one. I've not really written any notes down for this one, so I'm going to have to kind of ad lib this one. I'm just trusting this is just going to come out. (laughs) Jacob, dreamed big Jacob's dream was big it was massive it was huge number one it was impossible Jacob's dream when he was younger Jacob's dream was impossible it was the culture of the day that Esau inherited all of those promises not Jacob so it was impossible It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't his. It didn't belong to him. Number two, it didn't belong to him. It belonged to somebody else. But guess what? God took it from that other person to give to Jacob. Now, I should say this. God doesn't have to take from someone else to give to you to fulfill your dreams. God is well able to create what you need and give it to you. He doesn't have to go. In fact, years ago when when the the dream of, of pastoring a church for, for me, for us, at, at, at one point I looked at this church and I, we were in a similar position. We were the younger people in the, in the hierarchy of the church, in the leadership of the church. We were, we were wet behind the ears, all of that kind of stuff. And I remember looking at the situation and thinking, okay God, I really believe that you've given me a dream that I'm going to pastor a church one day. And it looks like this church is someone else's. And I'm cool with that. I'm absolutely cool with that. And I remember at a house in, in Cotterdale close, just not far from here, getting down on my knees. I got to a point where I was like, this is building. This is getting closer. This, this feels like this is happening, like this is the moment. And I'm not sure what I've got to do now. I remember getting down on my knees at the end of my bed and saying, okay, God, I, I understand that, that this church isn't mine and it belongs to someone else. All I ask is, God, what have you got for me? what have you got for me? Literally, God, what have you got for me? And he spoke to me and he told me, he said, I've got a church for you. I have got a church for you. At that point, I thought it was a different church. I thought it was another church. Went to Tina, the pastor, the previous pastor, and her husband, who started the church. I went to Tina. I told her this. She's in the room. She can confirm this. I said, Tina, God told me. I, I believe I've got to go and plant a church. I believe we've got to leave and go and plant a church. Tina said, No, don't, don't. Just wait. Don't do it. Don't go. I'm like Tina. I've got to go. She just, just wait. Just let us out of respect. I said, Okay, Tina. I'll leave it. I won't do anything. And the weeks went by and the months went by and I'm phoning her up regularly. I'm and i waiting a respectful amount of time. And I'm phoning up and I'm pestering. and saying, Tina, do you remember what I told you? I told you we've got to start a church. I told you you have got to plant a church. Come on, Tina, what are we going to do about this? This is kind of building within me. I know this is urgent. What are we going to do? Tina's saying, no, wait, 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 wait. And then God made a way. God just made a way. He changed the situation. I could tell you that's for another day. But he changed the situation and God made a way. God made a way. Jacob dreamed big. That dream at that time, I didn't have a clue how I was going to pastor a church. I didn't think I was able to. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But all I knew was God had said. God had put it in my heart and it was something I had to do. I was petrified. I was scared. And that's the third thing about dreaming big. Like kind of part three, subpart three. 3.3, 3. we've done 3.1, 3.2, we're on 3.3 3 now. You, if your dream isn't scary, if you don't know how you're going to do it, then it's probably not big enough. You're probably being a little bit kind of oh, playing it safe, being cautious. I read something in a book recently, it said that the goal of life is not to arrive safely at death I'm like, get in there, because I've been living my life like that, and I kind of keep thinking, am I doing this wrong? Should I be a bit more cautious? Am I kind of like putting it out there a little bit too much? Do I need to calm down a little bit? And then I read that, the goal of life is not to arrive safely at death. I'm like, yeah, I like that. There's a Christian guy who said it as well, by the way. You gotta dream big. If you don't dream big, if you think about it logically, let's go to part 3.4. If you think about it logically, right? If your dream is really achievable in your own strength, and I don't know, I'm not the first preacher to preach this, but if it's if it's achievable in your own strength, if you can kind of do it, if you've got everything that's needed to do it, then you don't really need God, do you? And it's not a God dream. Where's God in that? That's just something you can do. There needs to be an element. If it's a God-given dream, we're a Christian church. I believe in God. I believe in a miraculous God. I believe in living a life, a full-on life, a significant life. By the way, that comes with significant problems. You should be aware of that. But anyway, a significant life for God. That means he's got to be involved in it. That means you need him. That means it's got to be bigger than you, yeah? I I could go on about this one, but let's move on. Number four, four point. I think there's only one bit of this from number four. (laughs) I think it's just just a 4.1. So number four, keep it easy for your notes. You are making notes, aren't you? I can see people busily writing down. You need to make notes. Come on. Number four, in fact, do you mind if I read this out? Because this, this, I read this recently and, and I thought this was brilliant. This is about, have you heard of the Wright Brothers? Silly question, really. You've all heard of the Wright Brothers. Uh, on May the 30th, 1899, Wilbur wrote the most significant letter of his life, given the chain reaction it set in motion. He addressed the letter written on Wright Cycle Company Stationery to the Smithsonian Institute. That's like a big institute in America. They've got a big, you know, uh, historical center and all this kind of stuff. These were the guys, if you wanted to know about stuff, they knew it at the time. And he wrote to them asking for everything they had on human flight. At this point, it was impossible. In 1899, human flight was impossible. Are you aware that right now, whether you're in this room with us right now or you're listening to, on this, to us on this podcast, unless some major disaster has befallen us, there are currently at least a million people in the air right now in planes around the world. A million people. That's bigger, that's bigger than most cities in the UK. The population. And they in the air uh, right now. In 1899, human flight was impossible. People thought he was an idiot. And he asked for, and, and this is for us as a church, what I'm about to tell you now. He said, he wrote to them asking for everything written on the subject of human flight, which wasn't much. But they give him one book by L'Empire d'Ere. Oh sorry, it was called L'Empire d'Ere. And it was by a French farmer-stroke poet-stroke student of flight. Louis Pierre Mollard. I'm probably getting the pronunciation slightly wrong. My sister won't be too happy. But anyway, was like — and but he wrote this. He said, "It was like a prophet. Crying in the wilderness. Exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief. In the possibility of human flight. Did you hear that? He was calling out this guy to the world. To repent of its unbelief. In the possibility of human flight. Did you hear that? Calling the world to repent. To repent of its unbelief. In the possibility of human flight. We have a dream in this church. We have a dream in this church. We have a vision in this church. We're not just meeting on a Sunday every week just for the sake of it. We're going somewhere. I believe in a vision and in a dream for this church. And the dream that God, that we believe God has graciously given us, is that this church will be 1%. We will reach and be 1% of the population of Warrington. That is a massive dream. And I'm calling to you now, church, to repent. Anyone in here who doesn't believe in that, I'm calling on you to repent of that right now. To repent of it. Repent of it. Is it a coincidence that Wilbur read this and realized and was struck by this and realized that he had to believe? In fact, not only did he have to believe, he had to repent of his unbelief. Right there. Goes on to say, Wilbur repented of his unbelief in the possibility of human flight and the rest is history. Come on. Are you up for that? That sound good. Number five. This is great. I love this one. So much you could say on this one. Number five is... We call it together. If you're going to put a heading for number five, it's together. It's together. Jacob's dream wasn't really actually his dream. His dream was his dad's dream, which was his dad's dream, which went back generations, which was implanted and placed in man by God. It wasn't his dream. I'm sure he thought of it as his dream. I'm sure he thought of, and I'm not just on about the dream of the ladder, I'm on about the dream of him inheriting that line of blessing, of him being the the man that kind of blessed others. He went on to, to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, so he was significant in that dream. But it wasn't his dream. He was just a part of a bigger dream. We're all just part of a bigger dream. Don't think of your dream as just your dream. If you think of it as just your dream, if you focus just on yourself, you'll never achieve it. You'll never do it. There's so many reasons, and I want to try and go into them, as many of them as I can, but there's so many reasons why your dream isn't just yours, and you can't just think of it as yours. Because it didn't. my dream of pastoring a church, that didn't start with me. That started with Tina and Dennis. And, and their dream will have been put into them by somebody else. And what I'm doing now, what we're doing now, this dream, this church, what we're doing here, it's not mine. I don't own it. I'm just a guardian of it, if you like. But it's not just my dream for me to fulfill, and wow, look at what Barry did, look at what Vicky did. How incredible a day. It's not about that. If you think it's about that, you've missed the point. I don't think it's about that. And if you think it's about that, we'll never well, if I thought it was about that, we'd never achieve it. We'd never ever achieve it. The dream is your dream. You're part of this dream. The dream is to make your dreams come true. The dream is for you. The dream is for all of us. The dream is for the people who haven't even entered the room yet. They're still out there. They don't even know that there's even a dream. They don't even know this dream exists. They're still watching Inception. (laughs) Jacob's dream wasn't his own. It was a nation's dream. Moses before him had had this dream. Sorry, no, Moses after him actually, no, yeah, to get it right. Moses after him had the dream, the dream of nations. Moses, as part of that dream, set the people free. Moses' dream caused him to become a leader. Moses' dream caused him to become a leader. Moses wasn't dreaming of being a leader. He was dreaming of setting his people free. But the consequence of that was that Moses became the leader of the people of Israel. Because he had to be to set them free. But the dream wasn't just his. The dream was for the nation. It was for the people. But Moses couldn't do the dream on his own. He needed other people to get on board it and be a part of it. Now, if you read the story, most of them were kind of all over the place. They were with him, then they weren't with him, and then they complained and moaned and all this kind of stuff. But Moses, fortunately, had some people who were right there with him. Two, we could mention a few, but two in particular, Joshua and Caleb. Without Joshua and Caleb, Moses would have struggled to achieve the dream. But Moses had Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb devoted their lives to Moses and to Moses achieving his dream of setting the people free, of taking them to the promised land and they got there. Joshua and Caleb, I cannot emphasize, they risked their lives, battle after battle, fight after fight. When other people were stabbing Moses in the back, Joshua and Caleb were right there at the side of him, lifting up his arms. Saying we're with you, we're going to support you right through to the end. But it wasn't one-sided, it wasn't just Joshua and Caleb helping Moses out. Moses helped Joshua and Caleb fulfil their dreams, both of them. Joshua became a leader in his own right. Joshua went on himself to, to, to lead the people of Israel and Caleb right at the very end of his life. Listen to this, wow. Listen to this about Caleb in the book of Joshua. So, Joshua achieved his dreams that much by giving his life to Moses, achieving his dreams. He had a book written about him in the Bible. There's not a book of Moses, is there? Anyone read the book of Moses? There's a book of Joshua. Isn't that funny? In the book of Joshua, the chapter fourteen, verse six, it says this. I think we've got this up for you. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, yeah, the Kenizah. I hate all these words and pronouncing them. Came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, "I love this. These guys are old at this point. These are two old men at this point, although they weren't old in the minds." Joshua said to Caleb, uh, sorry, Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses. Moses is dead by this point, long gone. They're talking about Moses. Two old men. Caleb saying to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses. The man of God, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Banih. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Benai to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. If you know the story, there was 12 of them, 10 others didn't. They lied through fear. Verse 8, it says this, But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. We've seen people do that. To go around and frighten them from entering the promised land. Anyone had someone trying to frighten you from entering the promised land with us? You're not the first. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed, what, Moses? Joshua? The Lord, my God. But through following the Lord, his God, he supported Moses, supported Moses' dream, followed Moses, supported him. So that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God Joshua and Caleb were faithful to the end and they didn't just support Moses dreams their dreams were fulfilled through Moses Moses supported their dreams they supported Moses dreams that's the way it should be we all dream together neither dream was disconnected how was Joshua's dream not a part of Moses dream how was Caleb's dream not a part of of Joshua's dream and Moses dreams they were all interlinked it's all one big dream Every great dream needs Joshua's and Caleb's. Without them, it cannot be achieved. David had 40 mighty men who helped him achieve his dreams. There's a whole chapter devoted to them in the Bible of their exploits and all that they did. And two of his men risked their lives to bring him just a glass of water because he was thirsty. You read that story, any of you? Because he was thirsty. They went, you're thirsty, you need a drink of water. And they went and they risked their lives to go and bring him back the glass of water. He was only dreaming of this glass of water. He wasn't actually even asking for it. He was just dreaming about it. And these men heard David's dream and went and risked their lives to go and bring David a glass of water which he never even drank because he said how can I drink a glass of water that you have risked your lives to bring me this dream and he poured it out which might sound like an odd thing it might sound disrespectful but they knew exactly what he was doing he said no no, no. you've done everything to bring this to me now we pour this out as an offering to God to bless our God Jesus had 72 messengers, 12 disciples, 3,000, 5,000, you name it, to achieve his dream. Elijah, Elisha followed Elijah, the great prophet, the man of God. Did they still to this day in Israel dream of Elijah? And what happened? Elisha served him. Elisha helped Elijah. He, He stood there as his servant as his servant to help him achieve his dream. And what happened? Elisha, did did Elisha just help Elijah achieve his dream? No, do you know what happened? Elijah helped Elisha achieve his dream. Elisha went on to perform twice as many miracles as Elijah. He asked for a double portion and he got it. Bible records, Elisha asked for a double portion of what Elijah had and he received it. Right at the very end, he got the final part of his double portion. Go and read it. It's always a two-way street when you're part of someone else's dream. It becomes your dream. Not just theirs, but your dream. When I became a part of the dream in this church, when I turned up, that dream became my dream. If you're a part of this, our dream now is your dream. It's not our dream, it's God's dream. It's all of our dreams. No one owns it. It's God's dream. He was the one who planted the seed. The disciples didn't just help Jesus. Jesus helped the disciples. They fulfilled their dreams. They got what they wanted. They got exactly what they asked him for right at the beginning when he called them and he said, come follow me. Point six, the last one. Perhaps the most important one. See, all of these references, all of these things that I'm, I'm talking about that I'm referring to, All of these they give us hope. They tell us what God's dream for us is, they give us certainty on what God's saying. So we don't have to guess, we don't have to worry or or be anxious about what God thinks or what his heart is, because we can read it. We go and we read these stories. And we where do we read them? We read them in the Bible. In the Bible. It's not just a book, it's a holy book a set-apart book. We, we believe it is the Word of God. We believe, I am just me personally, my thoughts on the Bible are this. When I became a Christian and, or became a believer and, and I was thinking, is, is this Christianity? Is this God, the Bible? And, and is this it? And it felt like God just said to me, you don't think I'd leave you alone, do you? You don't think I'd leave you in this world without some instruction, without something to help you. And I know you might say to me, well, Barry, I I struggle reading the Bible. How many people say, anyone in here has ever said I struggle reading the Bible? I find it difficult. And how many people, come on, how many people say that? Listen, listen, right? If you're just trying to read it on your own, that's why you're struggling. Get yourself in a life group. We have life groups in the church. We'll put on as many as are needed. Our goal for this church is to have 120 life groups in Warrington. 120. So uh, we're with you. If you're like, I need more life groups and whatever, brilliant. Bring them on. We'll do it. We'll do it. As many life groups as we need. Our our goal is 120. That's how many we believe we're going to need. But if you're worrying and thinking, ah, this book, it's hard to understand, right? I'd say to you, number one, just read it. Just read it. It's a miraculous book. The understanding sometimes comes not from your own strength, but just from that diligence and persistence of reading it and sticking to reading it. And just reading it, just reading it. You might think it's not going in. You might think you're not understanding it, but keep reading it, keep reading it, keep on going. Do you expect to just understand it in one go? Some people complain that the Bible's too complicated, it's too big, it's too deep. Could you imagine if God had written it as a comic book? (laughs) Like as thick as a comic book, really thin, like pictures and stuff like that, and just like, you know, colorful pictures and just a few words and like a comic book, literally as deep as a comic book. We'd all be complaining it wasn't deep enough. The Bible, guess what? It's as deep as you want it to be. It can be as shallow as you need it to be to understand it and it can be as deep as you want it to be. The most basic person I've heard of criminals in prison cells with no education reading it and understanding it and God speaking to them through it. Yes, they may not have understood it all, but they understood it. There's scholars that have still not got to the depth of it. It's like the oceans. It's as deep as you need it to be. Just read it. Just read it. But don't just read it on its own. Combine it with coming to church. Combine it with good, solid teaching. When all of that is together, when you're doing all of these things, the understanding comes. Because you know what? The point of reading it is to find God, is to find your dreams. And guess what? He's not that hard to find. He's there. He's been there all along. You might be reading it thinking, I can't see him in it he's there and he's been there all this time and suddenly just at the right moment just when you think i'm all on my own i don't get it suddenly he'll speak to you out of that book like you've never understood it before but he can't if you don't read it just read it if you read it if you want to achieve your dreams you've got to help others achieve theirs If you want to do that as a Christian, you've got to read that book. You've got to get your head around it as much as you can. You don't have to be an expert on it. You don't have to get up here and preach on it. You don't have to be able to explain it to anyone else. Just read it. Just read it and allow God to speak to you, and then He will step out. Remember Genesis 28, verse 15. I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised for you. He's not that hard to find, church. Feeling inspired? Come on, let's worship Him. Come on, band give us something to a reason to praise what a song to praise with